Hallelujah. Good morning. How are you guys today? Hallelujah. Well, my own wife didn't show up for church today. I don't know what that means. And then my mom texted me right before church and let me know she also wouldn't be here. No reason whatsoever. I'm just kidding. She's camping. My whole family went camping, but I love you so much that I came here, and I'm glad. <laughs> I think I better start with some prayer. I do want to pray. We have a couple of families, so I'm just going to pray, and if you would agree with me, Pastor Dave Kaufman, the pastor of Face to Face, uh, a dear brother and, and uh, fellow worker in our city, um, he has a part of his heart right now that is just completely not working. He has a flap that isn't working any longer, um, and he also needs to get a hernia operation, so the two of those things are working against one another. So I'm going to pray for Pastor Dave because we want to see him continue to be blessed and healthy and serving so that God's kingdom will extend throughout our city. Also, uh, Herb, is, um, is his heart is also having issues, as, as many of you may know, uh, Herb Christensen, our missionary to Russia, an ongoing miracle every day that he's even alive, blessing to this house. Um, he, uh, he is also, there's a blood flow issue in his heart, and they're not able to operate, so he needs, an, he needs a miracle. And so I'm going to pray for both of our, uh, of our brothers. And since we're just praying for everybody, we are also continuing to pray for my beloved brother Tito, that he would absolutely uh, eradicate and defeat cancer as he is continuing to put the whoop a shot down on it. So Father, I lift up Herb right now. According to your promise, you said by, our, by your stripes we are healed. And when you said that we could be saved, Lord, you used the word sozo. That we would be saved, healed, and delivered, Lord. For, the, for these men, I'm asking that they not only have salvation, but they also be healed in their body according to the finished work of the cross. So, Lord, we just speak to Dave's heart right now in the name of Jesus, that you would be healed, that the, that the heart would begin to pump again in every way, that the half of his heart that is not operating, Lord, that you would supernaturally, by the power of your Holy Spirit, bring life back to that heart in Jesus' name. I lift up the same uh, prayer, Father, for Herb, that his heart would just be absolutely healed. Lord, open up the passageways, Lord. Cause his blood pressure to drop down to where it needs to be. May he have life and life abundantly. In Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray over my brother Tito. God, that he would have life and life abundantly. We rebuke this cancer in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We just call for your body to be able to overcome and eradicate every cancer cell. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, it is so good to be together today. And we are wrapping up the 12th core belief um, as we have been on this journey together to cover some of the main ideas, the main thoughts, the main things that you hear again and again. And in this last one, what we're going to talk about today is the already not yet kingdom. The already not yet kingdom. Are you excited? Are you at least curious? And I'm going to jump right in. It's such a, it's such a fun subject talking about the kingdom of heaven. Jesus was rather fond of it. He talked about it all the time. And, um, and so I think we should probably start with Jesus' words in Matthew 12, 24. And you're going to have to have your Bibles today. Yeah, we just went for a, for a sword drill today. I'm not giving you anything up there. You've got you to gotta dig deep, open up that Bible or that iPhone or those other phones that wish they were iPhones. Yeah, I said it. <laughs> All right, let's start in Matthew 12, 24 through 30, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay out this thought. So um, 
It says, then one, one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute, and he healed him, speaking of Jesus, so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. And all the multitudes were amazed, and they said, could this be the son of David? Now, when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow doesn't cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. But Jesus knew their thoughts, and he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judges. In this verse 28, I want you to pay attention to this one specifically. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. So Jesus in that moment says to them, if I'm casting out these spirits, if this person is getting freedom, if this, if this blind and mute individual is being set free right now by the Spirit of God, what that means is that the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now, when? When was he saying that happened? Right then. He said, the kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus just says this. He says, if I cast them out by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Not will come upon you. Not used to did. Has come upon you. You guys with me? So he goes on and he, he, he supports that point. He says in verse 29, or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? And then he will plunder his house. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Now Jesus is bringing some strong words. What he's saying is that I am binding the strong man. You see, the strong man is Satan. It's Beelzebub. It's, the, it's, it's our enemy, the adversary, the one who tricked Eve all the way in the garden. When he tricked Eve and Adam ate from the, from the fruit and all authority was given to Satan, up until that point, Satan actually had real, honest-to-God, legal authority over the earth. And we've talked about this. So then Jesus is coming now, and he's saying, listen, if I'm casting out demons, if I'm destroying the works of the devil, then you can know that the kingdom of God has certainly come. You guys tracking with this? And he goes on further now, and he says, now listen, you need to understand that by the works that I'm doing, I'm declaring to you that I'm actually the son of God. I'm binding the strong man. And we know very soon Jesus is going to die to reconcile all of us, and he's going to rise again to show that his kingdom is indeed now been inaugurated. All right? So he continues on. He says, he says, in verse 30, he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. 31, therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Very strong words. Why was Jesus so adamant about speaking to these particular Pharisees about this action? Because what he's saying is, look, the works that I'm doing, because I'm the Son of God, show the proof that my kingdom has actually come. And where my kingdom goes, I bring healing, freedom, forgiveness, all the fruits of the Spirit come from the ministry of Jesus Christ. 
And we know when Jesus went to be with the Father, what did he say? He said, it's good that I go to the Father, because if I go, I will send the Holy Spirit, who is the Comforter. And you'll be endued with power from on high, and you will become my witnesses in all the earth. And in another place, Jesus says, the works that I do, you will do also. But he's laying a case here for us to say, listen, it's very, very important that you understand that when God is working through people by virtue of the Holy Spirit, that if you then declare that the works of God, the works of the Holy Spirit, are actually works of Satan, that will not be forgiven. Now, Jesus is being very, very clear about this because we are to extend the kingdom of heaven through the power of the Holy Spirit. In another place, it says that the Holy Spirit teaches us all things. And where does he teach us all things? By opening up these scriptures to us so that we can understand them. The Holy Spirit is the one through whom we are able to extend that kingdom in everything that we do. We've spoken oftentimes about how all work is sacred, and everything that we do, we do with all of our might. Why do we do that? Because everywhere that we go and everything that we do is the extension of God's kingdom when we do it as worship unto the king. Are you with me? Now, I'm going to open this up a little bit more, but I, I just there's two things I need for us to get into our mind. Number one is verse 28. Surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. That's the already. Why don't you just say that with me, already? Okay, so the kingdom of God has come upon us when Jesus began to do the works of God under the unction of the Holy Spirit. So that's already. That's the already part of the kingdom, and we've seen that. How many of you here in this room have seen a bona fide supernatural miracle? Just raise your hand. Keep it up, nice and high. A couple of you that were just going to wait a minute that just thought of one, go ahead and raise your hand too. And the rest of you, look around. Look around at how many people are giving a testimony that they have seen a bona fide supernatural miracle. Okay, that's a lot, right? You can put your hands down. That's the activity of God. The reason why you've seen that happen is because God's kingdom is already happening in the earth. And by the Spirit of God, under the name of Jesus, we're able to work miracles, which is extraordinary. It's extraordinary. Now, I'm getting ahead of myself, and I'm going to have a little conversation with myself about that. Slow down, Josh. Let's go to the next scripture. So we know that the kingdom is already at hand. Now I want you to go with me to Matthew uh, chapter 24, verse 36. Okay, actually, are you there? All right, put your finger in your Bible. Because now I'm going to have you go to Revelation. <laughs> I kind of always wanted to do that. And this was on accident. It wasn't even planned. But it felt good. All right, let's go to Revelation chapter 1. And we're going to start in, uh, in verse 4. Everybody there? Revelation chapter 1, verse 4. With your finger in Matthew. Okay, here we go. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and then catch this, 
and the ruler over the kings of the earth. Let me, let me read that one more time. He says this, Before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Okay? And I'm going to actually, I'm going to go ahead and read verse 7 as well. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. Now, there's a couple pieces that I want to point out, and then I'm going to go back, and then we're going to pull this all together and discover it and have a Selah moment. But the first thing is this. Jesus, in this letter, is not becoming the ruler over all kings of the earth. He is the ruler over all the kings of the earth. So during the time that John is writing this revelation, he starts by greeting the churches who were in that time and place. Now he's writing in this, in this poetic, apocalyptic language, but he addresses this letter to the churches that were existing at that time. They're living and breathing individuals just like us. And he starts out by addressing the letter and saying, this grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and he goes on to say, the ruler over the kings of the earth. I want you to catch this because it's part of the already. It's part of the already. Jesus Christ is the ruler over every principality, dominion, every single authority that's on earth. Jesus Christ is rightfully the ruler over everything that exists. Are you guys with me? And that's the already. And the truth is this also, is that he rules over the enemy, the enemy of our soul, Satan, though he's given the opportunity to still run around on the earth and wreak some havoc, he doesn't have authority over the earth as he once did. Now, he can influence us, because how many of you know we still have free choice, don't we? We still have a will that we can use. We can eat from either tree anytime that we want. And Satan still runs around just like he did in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve had all authority over the earth, which was given to them by God. He tempted them. They ate the fruit. All the authority was given to the enemy. Jesus now has come. And as we saw just a moment ago, he, he, had, he, he had said in, uh, in Matthew 12, 24, he says, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. So Jesus comes. He's died for our sins. He is the last Adam. He is the one who has taken all authority now back from Satan. You see, God is just. He didn't just say, wow, that didn't go well when Adam and Eve ate the fruit. He didn't just go, ah, okay, that did not go well. I'm going to do a mulligan. I'm just going to hit the reset button and recreate everything right now, and we'll try again. No, he's just. He's righteous. So to fulfill showing mercy without lowering the standard of justice, he himself fulfilled that covenant by giving his own life. He died the death that we deserve. Does that make sense? Now this is key because the kingdom that he brought back came when Jesus himself died and then rose again as the firstborn of many. You guys with me? I know I'm covering a ton, and I am presupposing that you read your Bibles. So uh, email me, and we'll give you lots of Scripture references if you want to. I'm going to regret saying that. Okay. <laughs> but you guys, are you with me so far? 
So Jesus shows up, inaugurates a new kingdom through his own blood. And when he rises again, then he says, and we talked about it last week in the Great Commission, he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and therefore go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to do everything that I've commanded, with you, commanded you. And lo, I'm with you even to the end of the age. Again, another already. The kingdom is mine. The kingdom is upon you. Therefore, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, you go and make disciples of all nations. Doing what? Teaching them to do everything that I've commanded. Now, why does he have the right to have us teach everything that he's commanded? Because all authority is actually his. So everything that we see happens on this earth now through the delegated authority of God, either in his Christians or we see those who are still under the influence of the evil one, who although he doesn't have authority, he still works through deception. See, God in his wisdom did not remove Satan from the earth. That's a hard one to swallow, isn't it? I mean, even as I'm saying it, I'm like, ooh, is that legal to say that? God in his wisdom did not remove Satan from the earth, nor did he remove all of, the, all of the fallen angels that are with Satan. But rather, he has chosen because for his own, for, in his own wisdom and for our good, we see he's chosen that he says, now sit at my right hand, as it says in Psalms, he says to Jesus, until I make your enemies your footstool. Now who's making his enemies his footstool? Just raise your hand. He's actually doing it through us. Satan wanted to glorify himself, which is why he fell from heaven. God chose to glorify himself through us as we choose to follow God. And he defeats the enemy through people who freely choose him without being coerced, without being manipulated. We have the glory of choosing God and then glorifying him on this earth. And as we do that, we actually destroy all the works of the devil and show what true glory looks like as true followers and lovers of Jesus Christ. Is that not amazing? The one who rebelled against God is being humiliated and all of his works destroyed through those of us that will freely choose to accept God as our God, as our Lord, and we submit to him. That's another part of the already kingdom. And we're doing that right now. We do that every day. So what about the not yet part? What about the not yet part? So let me just, um, we talked about I'm gonna make, a, I'm gonna make a, a reference back here to last week. For those of you that were not here last week, I shared the parable of the wheat and the tares. And you guys are probably familiar with that story, but I'll just paraphrase it very quickly. The story of the wheat and the tares is that it says that the kingdom of heaven is like a righteous man and he planted a field. And he planted wheat in that field. And an enemy came in at night and planted a bunch of tares, weeds, in the field. And when the wheat came up, the tares came up with it. 
The servants came to the righteous man and they said to him, should we pull out all the tares? Because an enemy has come and planted all these tares. And the righteous man says, no, because if you pull the tares out right now, you might damage the wheat. So let them both grow up together. And then when we harvest, we'll first gather up all the tares and throw them into the fire. And then we'll gather in the wheat and bring it into the barn. And when Jesus unpacks it, he says, listen, the enemy is the, is the wicked one. It's Satan. The righteous man is your father in heaven. The wheat are all of those that would follow God. Those are the righteous. And the tares, those are those that would follow the enemy. Those are the wicked. Now, God in his wisdom is allowing us on this earth to extend his kingdom alongside the enemy who is still influencing others who would reject God or through deception until their eyes are open and they catch the revelation of the goodness of God, then they're under that influence or that deception. And so we see those things happening at the same time. And it's an ongoing theme that we see in the scriptures that we see. Oftentimes you'll see those scriptures where it says that where the darkness increases, there the light increases all the more. Where, where lawlessness or wickedness abounds, their grace abounds all the more. It's not that God is reacting to darkness. It's that we see this principle that God in his wisdom has allowed us the opportunity to choose him. And not in a place where there are no options. Why, why, am I, why, why is this such an important thing for this house to understand? And I believe any Christ follower, it's important that we understand this. The kingdom of heaven is happening right now. Jesus Christ has won a complete victory and all authority has been given to him and therefore we are able to extend that kingdom on earth. Jesus' prayer begins with our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Let your kingdom come and your will be done. That's exactly right. When? Right now. Now, we end up falling into various camps on this. And, and especially right now, okay, before I get into any sort of cultural outcomes, let me, let, me, let me hone in with Scripture. And then I want to talk about a couple things that do shape us. It's okay for us to be aware of our own culture and our own thought patterns. And I think we need to, we need to challenge some of our own thought patterns with the words of Jesus. Okay? So Jesus is saying, we're to pray that the kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he immediately follows that line of reasoning with meeting practical needs, okay? Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then he says this, give us this day, give us today our daily bread, God, will you meet the practical needs of families on earth today? And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. God, will you bring reconciliation, justice, and righteousness in all relationships today? You see that? The basic needs of every man, woman, and child physically and the emotional, spiritual, relational needs of every man, woman, and child. Give us this day our daily bread. 
Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. If you start to extrapolate that, he's speaking to every socioeconomic need. He's speaking to every area and sphere of society in that prayer. And he's saying that we're to ask that God would take care of those very real things today. Not in the great by and by. Not when he comes and reconciles all things through judgment, because he will come as the judge. Every one of us will have an opportunity to be presented with the gospel. And then there will come a day. It's one day, but there will come a day when every one of us stand before the righteous God who has done all these good things. And those of us that have accepted that beauty, accepted that goodness, and said, I want to choose you, I freely do choose that, then he will invite us into his joy. For those of us that have not, then he will say to us, as C.S. Lewis says, there will be only two things that are spoken at the end of time. Either those that say to God, thy will be done, or those that God says to them, thy will be done. So how do we... All right, so are you, are you with me so far? God cares about today. The kingdom speaks to and calls us to engage with our culture and on every level and throughout the earth on every level with very real, tangible, true, physical and spiritual solutions that work today because the kingdom is upon us. Is that crystal? All right, so that's the first part. This is a huge, hugely important part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what about the not yet part? What about the not yet part? There, there, I'm gonna read the scripture here. Um, Matthew 24, 36. They're asking Jesus, when are you gonna come? When is the great and terrible day? When are, when are you gonna come and restore Israel? Because this was what the, what the disciples were expecting was for God to come and bring a political victory and actually overthrow all of the, all the other kingdoms and put Israel in the place as a theocracy. They were expecting Israel to rise to the top. They had no idea how much bigger God's plan was. They thought God would come and just save Israel. What they didn't know was God was planning to use Israel as a demonstration of how Jesus would save the whole earth. Okay? So they're asking, when are you going to come and do that thing you do? Not knowing that it was much bigger than Israel, that it would include the whole earth, but they're saying, when will that happen? And Jesus says in verse 36, Matthew 24, 36. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and given in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. And then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, 
that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not followed his house, or I'm sorry, allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. What are some of the things that come to mind when you hear the terms do not expect? One would be you don't know when it is, right? Secondly, until it happens, you don't know what's going to happen. I'm completely blown away. I mean, just let me rant for just a half a second here. But I am completely blown away at how much time is spent, especially in the West, trying to figure out when Jesus is coming and what the signs of the times will be. When Jesus himself says, it'll be like Noah. You have no idea when it's going to happen. And by the way, guys, I'm kind of curious too what would be in Jesus and all because my dad actually hasn't told me either. (coughs) I'm just saying there's a lot of books that are written about this and it seems like that would be time better spent. There's a lot of time spent, you know, looking for deeper knowledge of, of like, well, what's going to, is, is Gog going to jump up on Magog? And then, and then there'll be like a river of some blood and some, the, the, the dragon thing will chase the lamb with the pony. And you, you know what? Jesus didn't even tell you to go look for that. He said, in fact, he answers it. Let's just go back to Jesus. All right. 45. Who then is a faithful and wise servant? whom his master made ruler over his household. I want you to catch this. Isn't that interesting language? He says, who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? What did it say in Revelation? It says the God, Jesus Christ, who is ruler over all of the earth, right? What does it say in the the Lord's Prayer? Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. What does he say when he leaves? All authority has been given to me. Therefore, you go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to do everything I've commanded you. And then as he's talking about the time that we're in now, because we've been in the last days ever since Jesus went into heaven, he will come back. But we've been in those last days. And during the time that he's gone, he's saying to this to us, who then is a faithful servant? whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season. Doesn't that sound like there's a job description in there? Isn't it interesting that there's a job description in the Lord's Prayer? Isn't it interesting that there's a job description in the Great Commission? And when is the kingdom here? Right now. He said, the kingdom of heaven is upon you. Therefore, go extend it in real and tangible ways today. Let me just finish Jesus' words here. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is the servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Blessed is he who spends a lot of time reading a lot of books to figure out the secret knowledge so that he can somehow have some sort of a strategy to somehow survive when the different stuff happens. Therefore, I will tell him, good job, smarty pants. No, no. It says, blessed is the servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Doing what? Giving the people their bread in season. Doing the works of justice that my father has done. Who is that father? The same one that causes the rain to come down on the the just 
and the wicked. The same one that said, let the wheat and the tares grow up at the same time. The same one that said, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to do everything I've commanded. And what has he commanded? To do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God, to forgive your neighbor, to love them as yourself, to actually have to, you know, when Cain killed his brother, it's interesting, Cain kills his brother and the first thing Jesus says to him, and this is on point, he says, I'm saying that for my own good, um, he says, where's your brother? And he goes, what, am I my brother's keeper? And Jesus skips straight to the fact that he says, look, the earth that had to swallow up your brother's blood, whom you killed, cries out to me. But what was the implication? Yes, you are partially responsible for your neighbor. You are your brother's keeper. What you do does affect him. I do require for you to love him. And they, he never changed his mind. So as we're extending the kingdom right now, there's a responsibility right now to actively and practically live in such a way that it consistently blesses our brother. Isn't it interesting that when Jesus was here, speaking of murder, he says, those of you have heard it said, do not murder. But I say to you, if you're angry with your brother without cause, murder is already in your heart. Why? Because you have to live in such a way that you're blessed and your brother is blessed. And if you're angry with him and already trying to cut him off in any way, shape, or form, you're killing him a little bit. So Jesus comes and says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I have entrusted you as, starting in this beautiful scripture, ruler over my household to give them food in due season. Verse 46, blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. And assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all of his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he's not looking for him at an hour he's not aware of, and he'll cut him into and appoint him to his portion with the hypocrites, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And he uses several other of the exact same type of parable. And what is he saying? I will come. Don't worry. I will come. In fact, don't spend a lot of time thinking about it or worrying about it because I actually gave you plenty to be working on until I get there. But here's the great news. I will reward you for everything you do to extend my kingdom now. Because you, you guys realize that it says in the word, and this is key, this is, the, this is the already not yet part. It doesn't say that we're gonna go to heaven and live with Jesus forever in the Bible. It does not say that. It says that Jesus will come and he will create a new heaven and a new earth. And it says that Jerusalem comes down to a new earth. This earth gets recycled. Jesus was the original recycler. It says that, they, that this earth will burn like the elements and be recreated. But here's the thing. As Paul writes, he says, there is no other foundation save Christ. And we must all build on that foundation. And all of our work will be tested by fire, whether we build with jewels and, and, and gold or whether we build with straw. And some people's work will be burned up, but others will stand. And whatever stands with fire 
continues on. See, there's not a break in the kingdom. There is a recycling of a new heaven and a new earth. But the things that we build in God's way with his heart remain forever. Every parable Jesus talks about the reward of those that build with him or the punishment of those that go against him. And at any time on this earth, and, and just lest, lest you mishear the tone of this, this message, he says, I love the scripture where he says, do not think that God is slow or slack in coming, but rather in his patience he desires that none should perish. So he's providing more time that people would repent. Isn't that beautiful? It's his kindness that leads to repentance. Isn't that beautiful? So everything that we're building, we're building because the kingdom is already. So what about the not yet part? The not yet part is that he also has left it to his son Jesus Christ to come and at, and at the point that the Father says it's time, it says Jesus will come in the clouds with the sound of the trumpet in the same way that he left into the clouds, he will come in the clouds and we'll meet him there. It says we'll meet him there. I love the parables where they talk about the virgins who would go out and meet the bridegroom who's coming, but they didn't hang out outside of the party. You would go out and meet royalty. You would go out and meet them and light the way and then you would all go back together. And we turn that around. We're like, we're going to get raptured out of this place. Boy, and all those, they'll just have to squirm down there. Well, I'm not going to get into that. I don't have time for all that. But let's just go with what the scripture actually says without some weird commentaries we've gotten along the way. Let's not get caught up on the weird commentaries. Because even if we believe those, I, I won't go so far. Even if we believe some interesting rapture theology, it doesn't change the commands of how we would live here regardless. How's that? That's, that's diplomatic. Good job, Josh. Okay, even if you believed that he's going to just swoop in and pop you out and let all the lessers fry a little longer, it doesn't change your mandate to extend the kingdom for as long as you're here. Can we agree on that? Because he says, blessed is he who finds you so working when he comes. And in what way? Well, we just have to look at this parable in making sure that people are getting their due food, the actual practical parts of extending the love of God. When you look at the life of Jesus, why did people like him so much? Because he had the words of life and he helped them with some very practical things. Jesus, I can't talk. I don't know how they said it. <laughs> and he healed them. For those that were hungry, he fed them. For those that were blind, he healed their eyes. And then he taught his disciples, I want you to care about practical needs. The prayer of Jesus is about meeting needs today and creating an environment where you love God with all of your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And his desire is that when he comes, he finds us so doing. He finds us leveraging the things that he's given us as faithful stewards. And I didn't have time to get into the talents, but he talks about the, the story of the talents. I'm going to finish with the story of the talents. You're familiar enough that you'll, you'll believe me that it's in here. The kingdom of heaven is like a righteous man who gave his servants different talents, and I love this part, according to their level of ability. And then he said, I'm going away on a distant trip and I'll return. He comes back 
And you know the story. Two of them have invested what they had. One of them did nothing with it. And the one who did nothing with it, he says, you wicked, lazy servant, shouldn't you have at least done something with it, thrown it in the bank? And what he has is taken away and given to someone else who has been faithful with what they have. We have, oh, you guys, we're so blessed. Jesus will come, and he will complete the good work that he began in this earth. No one of us can build the kingdom of heaven to completion on earth. That's the not yet part. You see, God has given us the ability to co-labor with him, and to extend his kingdom in every sphere, in every way, in practical, beautiful ways, in such a way that it says they'll see our good works and give glory to our Father in heaven. And we're to do that with all of our intellect, all of our ingenuity, all of our passion, all of our, of our, of our fortune. We're to do these things unto his glory. And the beautiful thing about his stuff is that his stuff blesses me and my neighbor simultaneously. Anything he thought of will do that. That's why capitalism works. When it's used with the kingdom principles, capitalism is an extraordinary blessing. When you take capitalism without his, then it can turn into a piracy of some kind. But the point is, when we do things his way, what happens? It actually extends things that look like heaven. It's like, you actually created something. You created something new. It wasn't by conquest, it was by creation. So as we continue to extend that on this earth, people see the goodness, it points towards something. But at the same time, too, we know that there's an enemy who we cannot defeat completely on our own. We know that there's injustices that on this earth we won't see fully reconciled until all the things come up into the fullness of what they will be. At, what, at which point there is only one person that has been given the glory and the authority and the power to deal with those things. And that person is Jesus Christ. And he will come and he will reconcile all things in that day. He will change all things in that day. He will, he will give us a new heaven and a new earth. He will bring about all the full justice of what he bought. And until that time, it's his patience and his kindness that he's not coming yet. We can't fully complete this project. We are not creating a utopia and then saying, hey, it looks so much like heaven here, now you can come. You know, we've got, we've got everybody cordoned off into this tiny little island, Lord, and boy, we really did a good job for you. No, no. We are dependent upon him to continue to extend as much as, as is possible with us in some beautiful ways, and then he will come at the perfect time. It's important to talk about the not yet part because if we don't understand the not yet part, you know what happens? We get really proud. We get real arrogant. We get real triumphant about how awesome we are. And we forget the patience side. We forget the fact that Jesus loves us so much that he'll give us 86 years to rebel against him. And if we'll turn to him on our deathbed, he'll go, oh, come on. That's what I've been waiting for. You see, and if we, if we forget about that part, if we forget about the not yet part of him, and we think we can somehow do it without him, we, we, we misappropriate the good news of the kingdom. 
and we start celebrating things and we start making political victories all about like, oh, that's because God's with us, da, da, da. And it's like, hey, you know what? There are beautiful things that happen when a people led by God make good decisions and we should give glory to him, but it should cause us to have gratitude and humility because we see that Jesus is working with us and we're working with him. It doesn't drive us to stand up tall and, and, and start pontificating to others. It actually drives us to a place of gratitude to say, because of the finished work of the cross, because of the resurrection of Jesus, he's extending things in tangible, beautiful ways. But lest I become proud and self-sufficient about it, I also realize that until he comes to finish the great work that he begun, that he began, <laughs> then there is no hope. Thank you, Lord, that there's hope now and there's hope tomorrow. Thank you, Lord, that I'm dependent now and I'm dependent forever. It's the already not yet kingdom. Isn't he brilliant? Isn't God brilliant? Let's give him a hand. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. And may he give you peace. If you need prayer today, the prayer servant team is going to be in the back wings here. They have little lanyards on and they would love to pray with you. If you would like to follow this Jesus we're talking about, you want to hear more about him, any one of those people on the prayer servant team would be happy to walk you through a step of first meeting with this amazing king of glory. Otherwise, may the Lord bless you. Have a wonderful week. Thank you, guys.